following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Make Life Work, the show that explores people and culture and shares some ideas on how to improve both. Your host is Kathy Ellis, and she will entertain you and share insights on how to make life work. Now, here's Kathy Ellis. Hello and welcome. This is me, Kathy, at Make Life Work. I got, we got our stats back. You know, this is a new show for me. And we got our stats back, and it shows me which countries people are listening from. And I am so excited, even though the numbers are little. But, you know, it's a new show. I expect that. But, but I would like to say hello to the following countries. Japan, hello. Indonesia, China, France. Germany, Canada, Korea, and Singapore. If anybody is listening from those countries right now, hello. How exciting. The world really is a lot smaller than we think it is. Today we're going to do part two of parenting styles and following up with helping make a household run smoothly. Just a quick review. Well, first of all, you know, I know it seems to me any parent or guardian, their goal is to have a smooth running household with minimum conflict and stress. It's a huge goal and a worthy one, but I know it's a big one. There's so many factors involved and parenting is complicated today for sure. Some of this information might help a family out there or a parent. I certainly hope so. Parenting styles and approaches are what shape the health of the family. It's very important to know that. You know, it's the trickle-down effect. may not have worked with, with the economy, but it is true in a family. The family temperament tends to be shaped by the parent's temperament. you got to look at that. Take, check that out. So in review, parent, there's a training period on how to be human. No humans or mammals are born with a script on how to be them. And it's parents and guardians' jobs, maybe it's the whole village, to help train little people, kids, to become contributing, healthy, happy adults that work within a community instead of against it. Excuse me. Back in the day, parents, back in the day, in what, what day am I talking about? I, I don't know how far back we need to go. Maybe the 50s. Maybe it started ending there, which is okay. Differences are okay. But back in the day, parents, people had similar values, communities, had similar values and principles and attitudes. And, and it was easier, I think, for parents then because there wasn't so much competition. And again, I'm all for differences. I love a rich culture with many people from many places. 
but it really does make parenting a little more challenging. Today, what we have are parents, parenting, grandparents, surrogate parents, step-parents, adoptive parents, and foster parents, and maybe the most powerful influence today, the media, are all parenting now, and they're all shaping how a child is going to grow and develop. So it's more important today than ever for parents or guardians to set a training course and stay with it. It's like the rudder of a boat in heavy winds and rough seas. You never let go of the rudder. In fact, when chaos and and complications present themselves, come back to the basics. Come back to the rules. Review the expectations. I often say we train kids until about 8 or 10, and then after that we start nagging and badgering, as though at 8 and 10 they have the whole script, and they know what they're supposed to do. All too often I've seen parents stop training their teenagers altogether and just try to control them. They never ask them questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? We have to ask them questions to develop their mind, their thinking minds. So in human development... There's some basics. Well, there's the basic, which is humans need nurturing. There's some very famous Brit studies in, in orphanages in Britain, where there was so, this was a very long time ago, where there were so many babies that the poor nurses couldn't pick them up every day. So there were babies that were not held day after day after day, and they had a almost 100% mortality rate. Babies died because they weren't nurtured. Number one, we need to nurture the people around us, including our kids. The path for little humans is to be like you. Scary, isn't it? (laughs) You know that whole notion of do as I say, not as I do. They do as you do, not as you say. How many... How many of us have said we're not going to grow up like our parents, but we do. That's the path. We... We is the goal of the little human is to be like you because they love you. They want to be like you. You're their person. The goal of little humans and humans all together is to become independent, thinking, and kind adults. Being able to take care of themselves. That autonomy that I've spoken of before. Let's talk about becoming individuals briefly. There's independence versus enmeshment. I want to I want to talk about the word enmeshment. I certainly see a lot of that have in my practice. It's basically where one person's feeling, you can't tell where one person's feelings start and stop in the other person. So their feelings get all enmeshed. I've seen many children try to take care of their parents' emotions. That's enmeshment. Or Parents who don't allow their children to develop independently and they want them to be very dependent on them and oftentimes want them to take care of their feelings, and that's um, enmeshment. Independence is I know where I begin and I end, where I, my, I know where my feelings start and stop, and I can see where your feelings start and stop. And they're separate and independent. Living a congruent life. Congruency is when things are correct when they are congruent when they fit congruency is when things fit so for example for me to go 
rob a bank is not congruent with who I am as a person. I would be very, very upset. Chances are I couldn't pull it off because I would turn around and share the money with people in the bank. That is congruent. That would be congruent for, for, excuse me, that would be congruent for me. Stealing, robbing a bank would be incongruent, but sharing the money with other people would be congruent. We want to live a congruent life. Or like my friend says, don't break your own code. Know what your code is and do what you can to live within that code. I will be kind. I like the golden rule and that, that sort of stuff. And then, of course, becoming an individual also includes physical, mental, and spiritual health. That We all need that. I think that's a part of humanity. Obviously, we need physical health, mental health. We need lots of more of. And my guess is really as a society and societies all around the world, we need a little more spiritual health. Coming, coming back to households. So if, you, if your household is a little in a little disarray, if you're not thrilled or really happy with the way things are going, take a look at yours. <clears throat> Determine the general, in, so what, there's a number of things you want to do. Determine the general, individual, and family needs. So what do all the individuals need? I don't mean want, I mean need. And what does the family need? For one person to go out and buy, let's say, a parent to go out and buy a motorcycle, when the family needs, when the children's needs are to have school equipment and the family doesn't have the money for that, you see there's some problems there. So you want to look at the family needs and the the individual needs in the family. You want to look at your structure limits, limits and expectations. You want to be consistent. It's not, you don't have to be rigid about your consistency. There's a lot of fear about, I'm afraid to, I've talked to a lot of parents that are afraid they're not being consistent enough and that they think that they need to be 100% consistent. So not the truth. You know, if you're, if you're about 85% consistent, you're doing great and Things will go much more smoothly in your household and life. You want structure. You want limits. There need to be consequences, which I'll talk about in a, in a minute. Consequences versus punishment. And rewards, of course. And expectations. We don't generally talk about our expectations. We assume people know what they are. And parents too often assume the children know what the expectations are. Of course, we get some of them through osmosis, but that's just not very effective. I spell them out. I know my parents never said, we don't expect you to do this, and we expect you to do that. And there were times I wasn't on the right path. You want to, so looking at your household, this is your own household assessment. You want to look at the moods in in the family, the the moods of the the individuals and the mood of the household, the, the temperament or tenant of the household. Is everybody glum all the time? Is everybody agitated? Are people content? Are they doing their their work? Are you having fun? Is there laughter? You got to find some laughter. And even if you're one of those people that aren't big on laughing, that's okay. You can still make fun of yourself. You don't have to laugh. Other people will do it for you. But you have to have laughter. 
having worked with all the uh, abuse I have in my career, I would say one of a few things that helps somebody survive that is humor and laughter. It's imperative. What you want to look at in the household is what affects the mood, or excuse me, who affects the mood? Who has the most power when it comes to the the, the oh, general feeling of the household? <clears throat> How does their mood affect everyone? Why is it okay for others to let that person control the mood? Why is everyone in the household allowing that to happen? It's complicated, I know. But you want to look at what others are doing to allow that person to, to let their mood control the family mood. You want to look at maybe some more. You want, what you want to do is help create a little more consistency in the family and, even, and evenness in the family mood too. But you have to back up, examine this a little bit, and then you will know where to go. You want, you want to keep... You want to look at the level of nagging. Again, we're in the family assessment, doing your own family assessment. How much nagging is going on? Period. Just look at that, nagging. And then nagging gets into, turns into badgering pretty quickly. And badgering is very, both nagging and badgering are very, very harmful. They don't teach anything to anyone and they make the person nagging and badgering ill. How much yelling is going on? Are the kids in their, sent to their room all the time? Are they participating in the family? Are they isolating? Are, are adults isolating? Are they participating in the family? You want to take a look at these things, and then you can see which direction you need to go to make your household run smoother and your family be happier. We're going to take a break now, and I'll be back in a minute. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello, this is Kathy again. Thanks for staying with me. If you can, stop by Facebook and go to my Make Life Work Facebook page and and like it. I sure would appreciate that. Is that pandering? I might be pandering. But it's Make Life Work on Facebook, and I would just love to see you all on there, where I also post much of this information. So back to assessing the family, your own family. <clears throat> what I ended up with was... Check out how much yelling is going on and who is doing the yelling. You want to definitely look at that. And when you're in a position where you find yourself nagging a lot and yelling a lot, you need to regroup, back up, take a breath, and come up with a new strategy and plan. You know life is too short. These are your precious children, and you are their precious guardians, and they love you, and you love them. And there's no reason to be... Troubled all the time. What's so interesting, and so many people say this, we treat family members ways that we would not treat others in public, more at work. We we wouldn't. We would we would just wouldn't treat. We treat the people we love the most poorly, and and that's backwards. Maybe that's why there's so much contention out there in the world. Because we treat each other in the family poorly. And it is the family in the household where we should be the safest. Where we should be the most nurtured. The most encouraged. With limits and expectations. Don't ever assume I don't have limits and expectations in there somewhere. If the parents or guardians are not setting up or, re- or they're really the, the, a positive mood, a productive mood in the family or they're really struggling with this in the home or struggling with a a smooth running household then some of these things may exist the children are in charge children don't want to be in charge they often push for that especially if they see their guardians not in charge because they know someone needs to be in charge but given the opportunity and some proper proper limits and boundaries children will step down from that role. I've certainly worked with plenty of children who answer for their parent when I ask the parent a question, tell their parent what to do because the parent has relinquished their parental roles. <clears throat> and that makes for a very unhappy and chaotic in, in household. If you can't get a smooth running household, it could be that the adults are overstressed or they're not attending to their own needs. Children come first in, not, a, not across the board. Children are important, 
but parents are important too. And if you, oh, if you give it all up, for, if you give up everything you need for the children, it's not healthy either. So children, so the adults in the, the household can be over, overstressed or not attending to their own needs. If there's chaos in the household, it could be because the adults are lacking empathy for the children or the spouse or themselves, are unhappy in their relationship. They've lost parental control, like I said. They're disorganized, clutter, or otherwise allow chaos to prevail. Unfortunately, there are people that thrive off chaos. It came from their childhood. What can I say? The other thing that can really disrupt a smooth running household is mental illness and or drug abuse that is being that is not being recognized or addressed when you have those things it doesn't mean in in a household it doesn't mean the end is here it just means they need to be recognized and addressed and included in the family plan so moving on the best parenting skill of all which is not in the research is the golden rule use it if you don't want your kids yelling at you don't yell at your kids. If you don't want them belittling you or backtalking you, don't belittle them. It's kind of that simple. Although I know it's hard to not do these things sometimes when you're really, really angry or frustrated or even confused. This doesn't mean that <clears throat> if you don't want them rifling through your things, which they should not, that you can't search their bag or room if you have concerns. It's different. The golden rule is really about respect. And if you want your children or anybody, for that matter, to treat you with respect, you need to treat them with respect. It's the right thing and the kind thing to do. That doesn't mean you lose any authority or power. The parenting styles, which we talked about last week a little bit, there's authoritarian permissive, authoritative, and uninvolved. And this, like I said last week, is coming through, coming out of 50 years of research and largely accepted in the field. Authoritarian is my way. Permissive is your way. Authoritative is our way. And uninvolved is no way. I made those up. Authoritative is the best style to shoot for. These are pervasive patterns. You're going to mess up. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) You're going to tiptoe here and there with all of these at some point or another. Parents will. So you want to look at a pervasive pattern. In In authoritative home, the guardian is in charge but still able to listen. They're clear and consistent and they have reasonable expectations. They do modeling. They, They model and use logical consequences they provide provide guidance when it's needed they don't hover they don't nag they provide prompts without nagging and they learn to listen the guardian is still in charge but can learn to listen rules and consequences and structure are established but when when the guardian establishes those but when able might get some input from the other family members, from the kids. I've often worked with children and teenagers about consequences and have asked them 
regarding something that they did that required a consequence, what they think it should be. And by the way, I wouldn't use that all the time. I would use that judiciously. However, most kids in my 35 years of doing this have given themselves harder consequences than the parent would have. But you can't use it all the time because then you start abdicating your role as parent. A smooth running household with authoritative parent style allows for chores and allows for contribution to the family and collaboration. When you holidays, for example, vacations, for example, <clears throat> there's the parent that's afraid to ask the kids where they want to go because if they all say Disneyland and you can't, the parent can't afford it or doesn't want to go to Disneyland, they feel trapped. This is not how it works. You need to. You can sit the kids down and say, "What are your suggestions?" I'm taking suggestions. Doesn't mean I'm going to go with the suggestion, but I'm open to hearing them. And then ultimately, the parent makes the decision. It helps the the kids feel like they're a part of the decision-making process, even if their place of place for vacation wasn't chosen. They still feel included. It's a good practice. Guarding problems with guardians who resist setting up structure and limits sometimes think like a child or teenager. Uh, they think the kids should just get it. They, they risk trouble down the road instead of putting out some discipline now and effort now. You know, it takes 18 years to train a human, and a lot of research today is saying we have adolescent brains until we're 25. So it really takes that long to train a human. We're going to take a break, and I'll be back in a minute. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. 
show and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back. I was just talking about some problems that interfere with a smooth household and I realized I said um, guardians who resist setting up the structure in a family, in a household, think like a child and I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. That may be true some of the time or a lot of the time, I don't know, but I didn't mean that. There are guardians who resist setting up structure in a household, it's work, it takes work. It also pins the guardian down also you have to be accountable as well so a lot of people want to avoid that but many just think the child should get it in and that that somehow they should absorb how to be human and what and how to follow rules and expectations another problem is guardians that worry about being liked or not being liked and they don't want to be the bad guy parents out there know you you know very well sometimes you have to be the bad guy but if you rest on that all the time, you're really going to be taken advantage of pretty much. There's guardians that want to be like the kids somehow. Jeez, I hate to say it since the boomers, but it seems like people don't want to grow up anymore. And growing up isn't a bad thing. Growing up on the inside is okay. It's when you're you're old and your body starts falling apart that it's really gets... Not fun, but growing up is okay. A lot of guardians want to be like the kids, though. They want to be hip and cool, and they want to speak like the kids. They want to be friends with the kids' friends, and that confuses children most of the time. And obviously, they're abdicating their role as a parent. You know, there's many approaches. I've said it before. There's many approaches to effective parenting, and there's a lot of information out there. But they're just like diets. Most diets work, but you have to apply them. And unfortunately, like diets, you have to keep using them forever. But with changing the structure in a family, once you get it established, it's like having a lifestyle change. Kids that have experienced trauma and abuse, neglect, and there's a lot of people out there that have those children and were not the abusers, neglectors. Um, somebody else was and I know they're they're a little different to work with sometimes because they have they have some symptoms that came along with the trauma it takes tremendous patience I know but again with any condition or any disorder of any kind from my perspective it all comes back down to setting consistent rules expectations boundaries and limits and that help, helps us learn how to manage in the world. So now the permissive indulgent parent. 
These parents display relatively high levels of responsiveness. They're very responsive emotionally, but low levels of control. There's the children with permissive parents tend to display less positive behavior and self-reliance, but high levels of self-esteem. Now that's coming out of the research, and I hate to debate research because I didn't do any research. But I'm not sure you can have a genuine high self-esteem without having self-reliance and a positive contribution to community. So I'm not sure if they're measuring, and of course, I'm, I can't argue with their research, but I'm not sure they're not measuring a false sense of self-esteem. I just don't see those things being exclusive. Self-esteem comes from self-reliance and contribution. Those kids with indulgent parents uh, in, his, in the research were characterized as enjoying high levels of psychological and emotional well-being the lower levels of achievement coupled with higher levels of misconduct. Permissive parents can tend to raise kids that have behavior problems because no one ever set limits with them. The permissive uninvolved parent, the parent is low on both warmth and control it's, it's sort of the extreme side of being rejecting and neglectful. Students with uninvolved neglectful parents are characterized as demonstrating lower levels of competence in all areas. And over the course of the high school years, the academic fun- functioning of teens with neglectful parents declines. And levels of delinquency and internalized symptoms such as depression or anxiety increase. If you think you're a permissive, uninvolved parent, hmm, you could take a look at that. You got it from somewhere. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you're a little lost. Then there's the authoritarian parent, who's similar to authoritative, except it will in terms of being demanding except they're described as less responsive and they're more likely to use power to assert discipline techniques and they rely on the on withdraw withdrawing withdrawing love to gain obedience no 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 not good you never withdraw love you don't have to shower people with gifts children with gifts and you don't have to gush over them particularly when they're in trouble but you never withdraw your love. Children with authoritarian parents, they tend to display less independent behavior and lower levels of self-reliance and self-esteem. So they kind of get it on all ends there. The students with authoritarian parents reported relatively lower levels of psychological well-being. Remember, we're raising adults. Parents and guardians are raising adults. And what you do in those first few years really affects how they're going to develop and how they're going to be as adults. Coming back to the authoritative parent, which would be the goal, they're responsive and they have expectations and they communicate those clearly. They provide clear standards for behavior. They monitor their child. They provide discipline 
that's based on reasoning and explanation rather than power assertions or withdrawal of love. Children of authoritative parents display adaptive levels of self-reliance and self-esteem. See, it's the authoritative parent that raises the independent thinking adult. And that's the goal. If we want to save our societies around the world, and I think that's what it's going to take, we need independent thinking adults that feel good about themselves and stop hating everybody else. So, if you're a parent, the health of the world is in your hands. I'm sorry. No, I shouldn't have said that. Kids that are raised by authoritative parents fared best with respect to the range of social, emotional, and academic competencies. Really, all around, the authoritative parent raises the most well-adjusted child. I also, they're the conscious parent, although the others are conscious as well, but some of the time. Um, The other parenting styles often come from a place of the parent's own needs instead of the child's needs. But being a conscious parent, you become a good role model. You have your own interests. You are interested in your children's interests. You set good, clear limits and boundaries. And you exercise the golden rule. When we come back in a minute, I'm going to go over this great article somebody just shared with me, Seven Parenting Behaviors That Stop Children from Being Successful, by Kathy Caprino. And I'll post this on the Facebook page as well. Oh, I'm so glad we have another segment. When we come back, we'll talk about dismissive parents and their characteristics and the effects. See you in a minute, or we'll be talking with you in a minute. Thanks. the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Women in sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America. Empowerment. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who have turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
If you're in an unhealthy relationship or you want to know what helps you avoid being in an unhealthy relationship, be sure to tune into Tamar's Relationship Transformations. Host, author, and certified relationship coach Tamar Neal uses real scenarios from her experience as a 911 operator and counselor to change the way you see potentially abusive relationships. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello, hello. This is Kathy again. I'm so sorry from the last segment. I got a little confused. I thought it was the end of the show, and I want you to know my foster daughter from here on out daughter, Jennifer, emailed me and said she was cracking up. You can email me too and, and tell me you're cracking up as well. <clears throat> so I was gonna call I was gonna finish up with some more details of types of parenting and talk about the dismissive parent but really what I want to do is go over this article from let me look again Kathy Caprino C-A-P-R-I-N-O I don't know who she is but she wrote a beautiful article on the seven parenting behaviors that stop children from being successful and she she's spot on one, we don't let our children experience risk. And today we know, and she says since the boomers, which it does seem that it started then, I've certainly heard from plenty of parents of that era and since, say they don't want to say no to their child because they don't want to hurt their self-esteem. But in fact, that is how we get our self-esteem, by hearing no being able to manage it, being able to manage limits and boundaries and roadblocks. If everything is just given to us, we don't learn squat. And we don't develop a real self-esteem. We develop conceit, arrogance, <clears throat> excuse me, arrogance, and all those other things. Today, everybody gets a ribbon, and that's not real. That's not real life. In the workplace, not everybody gets a raise just because they showed up. <clears throat> I'm not a competitive person, and I think we've taken competition or, or sports competitions way over the edge, and our political competition way over the edge. But when there is a competition, not everyone's going to win. Somebody's going to be better at something than others, and that's okay. We can't all be alike. It's okay. But giving everybody a ribbon for just showing up is not helpful. We need to let our kids fall. I've worked with parents that wouldn't let their two-year-old fall, ever. And I'll tell you what, later on, the teenager, that teenager starts negotiating with their parent in ways that's not healthy. They kind of hold them over a barrel. The parent's so afraid of not being liked, so afraid of their, their child being uncomfortable or experience any discomfort whatsoever, they give in and cave. And it's not healthy for the person. 
kids that aren't allowed to play outside research has shown there's some research in in Europe that's been shown that kids are not that aren't allowed to play outside and skin their knee in fall and all that stuff grow up with a lot of phobias and anxieties as adults they need to they need to be able to break up with a boyfriend as a teenager or a girlfriend to appreciate the emotion emotions that come with that. You can't protect them from all this stuff. I see too many parents trying to protect their children from their feelings. Don't feel like that, they say. Oh, you'll feel better or snap out of it. This isn't good. We need our feelings. That's what makes us human. It's a flawed part of our humanity a lot of the time, but it is what makes us human. And to fix somebody's feelings... As a, listen, as a therapist, I never did that. I never tried to fix anybody's feelings. You have to let them sit with them. Otherwise, you're robbing them of their humanity, their human experience. So we need to let our kids experience risk while they're still within our reach, where we can grab them up if they fall too hard or they really get themselves in trouble. But when you don't allow, allow them to experience risk, what they're learning is that they're not competent They're not capable. And there's something called learn helplessness, which that that they can acquire. And I'm afraid, at least in America, I can't speak to other countries and cultures. There is a lot of learned helplessness out there right now. So let the kids fall a little bit. Let them have a little heartache. Let them have some disappointment. Don't fix their grades for them. Don't do their homework for them. If they're going to fail, let them fail so they can experience it. Don't rescue them. And that's the next one. We rescue too quickly. We're overindulgent. We do too much for children. I know. Now, I'm not blaming anybody right now. I know only a gazillion of you parents or guardians did this. Your child calls you up from school and says, I forgot my homework, and you get it and jump in the car and take it to school. I can't blame you. I really can't blame you, but that is an example of rescuing. It's okay the first couple times, but if this becomes a pattern, then it's not good. You know, I could see running the homework down to the school the first or second time while you're still training that child on time management and memory and your their to-do lists. But if it became a pattern, then now you're in a pattern of control and power, and that's not healthy for anybody. We tried, like I said a minute ago, we try to rescue them from their feelings. Let them have their feelings. It's not a reflection of you, the parent. It's the reflection of their humanity. It's okay that they're angry with you. It's okay that they're, as long as they're respectful, Golden rule, it's okay that they're hurt, that somebody at school hurt them, but talk about, talk with them. Don't dismiss it. Talk with them. Understand, you know what it's like to be hurt. We rave too much. I've been saying this for eons. Stop gushing at the kids is what I say. You want to compliment them when they do a good job. You want to point out what kind of job they did. I like, you can say things like, so the painting, five-year-old does a painting. You don't have to gush over it. You can just say, that's really interesting. I like how you use so much red. What do you think about this painting? 
What do you like about it? Or your teenager fixes their bike. You don't rave over that. You go, good job. And point out the positive approach they took. You know, put it into words for them. Don't gush. It makes kids feel bad in the end. It makes them feel smothered. Kids have told me they don't like it. So don't gush. Raving about your children is about you and not the children. Sorry, but it's true. Guilt, that's another thing. Working with parents, I say, get rid of the guilt. I know that's hard. I think it's a prerequisite to being a parent. Um, But there's no place for it. There's really no place in, in humans for guilt. Guilt is a religious construct. It's a, it's a cultural construct. Basically, yeah, I think it was created to pe- keep people in line. However, I don't think guilt has ever stopped anybody from doing anything. If you're guilty about overeating, it doesn't stop you from overeating, etc., etc. But when you have guilt around setting limits, creating structure, having boundaries in your household, you're giving away your parental authority. The children are going to have all the power and take over. And it doesn't make them feel good. Parents that parent out of a sense of guilt create anxiety in their children. You need to stand squarely in your own two feet. Be confident that you're doing the right thing. Even if you're not, fake it till you make it. Tell your partner or your friend or your pastor or your counselor how much guilt you feel. Look at it, figure it out, and then get rid of it. We're the only mammal that feels guilty about parenting and setting limits. Remember that lion bites his kid on the ear because the lion bit daddy's butt too hard? He doesn't go back to his wife and lament setting a limit. Lose the guilt, however you can do it. It also trains kids to be guilty adults, feel a lot of guilt on their own. Sharing past mistakes is okay, and we should share past mistakes, but there's a caveat to that, and this gal writes it in the article, which I love. You don't want to share negative lessons learned having to do with smoking, alcohol, illegal drugs, sex, that kind of behavior. Kids, when parents share that with their children, I did drugs as a kid, and you shouldn't do drugs now, those children look that parent up and down and go, really, because you look okay now. So you're okay and successful now, so I bet I could go down this road and end up like you, okay and successful. Don't share that kind of detail. Share about other mistakes, concrete mistakes that aren't so personal. Perhaps, you know, mouthing off to a teacher or not having your homework or what it was like to get a bad grade and what you did to repair that grade. Share those kinds of things. Maybe you said something unkind to a friend and it hurt their feelings, you can talk about a situation like that. Those are wonderful lessons. Also, we mistake intelligence, giftedness, and influence for maturity. The super intelligent kids aren't mature. No one's mature until until they've gotten through some developmental stages. 16-year-old cannot think like I do. I'm 60. They can't. 
They can understand. We can have a conversation. But they don't have the life experiences that I do. So when you have really intelligent, gifted children who are influential, don't mistake that for maturity. Remember, they still need limits, expectations, guidance, consequences. And seven, number seven, which is the most important thing, and again comes back to the golden rule, parents and guardians need to practice what we preach. We are role models. Kids do what we do, not what we say. Sometimes they say things how we say them, if we say them rudely. But we're role models. We need to be dependable and accountable for ourselves and dependable for our lives and for our households and our children. We have to be the leaders of our own home. We can be honest, but still be guiding and still be in charge. You don't want to be, you want to be selfless, but you also want to be able to take care of your own needs. You don't want to be a martyr. You don't want to leave your own self behind. I know a lot of you did that. A lot of parents have done that. And I know you did it out of the love, the most love you have in your heart for your children. There's some more characteristics that I want to go into, but I'm going to discuss those another time. Let me review. The disapproving parent. Some of this is resonating true for some of you. You remember how you were parented. Now I want to talk about punishment and consequences versus consequences. Punishment is something that you put upon somebody when they make a mistake, and a consequence is something that you set up ahead of time. If I get pulled over for a speeding ticket, I know what the consequence will be. If there were no traffic rules and I got pulled over and I was given a $300 ticket, that would be a punishment because I was unaware. It's really important to set up consequences ahead of time because then you can teach the child to be accountable for their own behavior. Instead of them being mad at you for punishing them, you can say, but you knew what the consequence was. There's different styles of communication. These, these are ineffective styles of communication. I laugh only because they're such a part of who we are a lot of the time. Avoidant. Whoever came from a family that didn't talk about anything. Who has a family that doesn't talk about anything important or serious. Critical, the critical parent. We, there's plenty of them out there. Passive-aggressive parent. The passive-aggressive parent relies on a ch- child often to take care of their own emotional needs. The defensive parent. Some parents have content and res- contempt and resentment for their children. It's unfortunate and it's very hurtful. If you're one of those parents, I, it's okay to look at that. It's okay to acknowledge it, not to your child, but to a friend or a counselor or a partner. That's the best way to lose content and resentment is to talk about it. Effective communication tools, learning to listen, learning to paraphrase what somebody else says, Teaching children to say what they think and feel and need. Um, Communicate respect. Oh, there's so much more. You know, this could be a year's worth of classes. Next week, please join me. I'm going to have a guest, Doris Jones. She's a licensed clinical social worker and professor at Sacramento State University. She's just retiring. I've known Doris for 
forever. <laughs> and we're going to have a conversation about making retirement work. So many of us are on that threshold or stepped over it. We're going to talk about a lot of, excuse me, a lot of the things you can do to help make your retirement work and feel good about your future, make it work for you. Doris and I go back, I think, 35 years, 19, you do the math, it was 1988, seven, 1987, I think. She was a supervisor of mine when I was getting my internship hours as a therapist, and now she's my very dear friend. And we're going to have a lot of fun chatting. It's going to be less of an interview and more of a conversation. We're also going to talk about being single women in retirement or single people. You know, I think men lose out on these conversations sometimes. We're going to talk about single people in retirement. You know, finances are, finances are a little different when you're single. And company, no, and cooking even, travel. All of those things are a little different when you're single. So we're going to explore all of that in that. And that's it for today. Please visit the Facebook page at Make Life Work. I'll see you all next week. We got to go. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Make Life Work. Please join your host, Kathy Ellis, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, try to see your life and world through a new perspective.